Good morning, church. So good to see everyone. Uh, I'm always honored to come to, uh, to this construction site. I, I come from a city. If this is your first time to hear about it, it's called Blanta. But you know, uh, when you visit your friend's construction project, it can be inspiring. So I'm like, wow, this city could be something else. Good for you, Lilong. Uh, but I'm excited to be here. Um, and my job this morning is quite simple. We're going to look at the passage we just read. Uh, it's John chapter 2 from verse 1 uh, to 12. And we're just basically saying this statement, your boldest move goes where God is most glorified. Your boldest move goes to a place where God is most glorified. We are all on the move. We are all on the move. We are all making decisions. We are all on the move. We, every morning we are presented with opportunities to make a move. Every day you have moments and opportunities to do something. And the question that I'm really asking is, in all those moments, are you making moves that are glorifying God? Are you making choices that are glorifying God? Is your yes to whatever decision that needs to be made glorifying God? Uh, let me bring it home for some of us. It's what you're doing in your relationship today, glorifying God. And I know some of us have gone to marriage or dating. No, no, no. Your relationship with those people that are working for you or with you. Yes, even them. Are the things you are doing glorifying God there? Uh, some of us, we're building Beautiful projects, amazing businesses. Yeah, 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 great. Some of us are creative. So we're pushing the boundaries of what Malawi can allow when it comes to creativity. Yes, great. Praise God. This is awesome. Are you glorifying God? Is God being glorified there? Now, just that explanation is making this God being glorified so big. With big events. So, so let's bring it home again. Is God being glorified in your little, small, little, small moments, conversations, collaborations, small chats, small highs, you in a restaurant, is God being glorified there? Is God being glorified when someone has stepped on your toe? Is God being glorified when you think there's a better way, when you have more power in the conversation? Is God being glorified there because your boldest move every day is where God gets his glory and, and I want us to think about that because you continuously are given opportunities to not glorify God why because a lot of us how we think or how we operate we think from a place of interest and a place of fear we do what we're interested in like no one can force you to do to not 
do something else when you don't want. For a lot of us, that's true. Like, a, no matter how creative or no matter how powerful, I even say this, for, for those of you whose interest is not money, no matter how much money can be offered to you, no, you can be moved, right? Like, what interests you pushes you to make different moves. On the other hand, what we are afraid of pushes us to make certain moves. So if we are afraid of poverty, <laughs> which is probably all of us, We'll make different decisions when it comes to issues of money, issues of investment, issues of building generational wealth. Because we know what poverty can do here in Malawi. We know very, very well what poverty can do. Actually, the argument is... Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much, sir. Can you show him some love, everybody? Yeah, well done. A lot of us, when we're making decisions, so I'm going to use the word fear, and we make decisions based from what we're afraid of. But I was talking about we're afraid of poverty, right? So a lot of decisions are coming from that place, and, and poverty is nasty. It's not good. And especially in Malawi, what we have tend to do uh, poverty is so messed up that you pay for everything. If you want good security, what do you do? You pay for it. If you want a good house, you work. Like almost every other thing in your life, you pay for it. So when you're leaving from a place of fear, you know if I don't have resources, it will be hard to find justice, for justice to happen. It's just, that's what poverty does. That's why it's as believers, we have to be at a place where we're influencing spaces so that not only we flourish, but the areas and the spaces God has planted us should flourish. Amen? But if we to go back, the moves we are making can come from a place of fear or can come from a place of we're interested in this. We're excited. We're passionate about this. And this is awesome. So I just want to do this. But I want to pause on fear a little bit. Because of that, we overestimate the safety we can create on our own. To the point that when it comes to believing God, we feel we are more safe when we do what we want than what God wants. Yet C. Wilson says about safety and fear of doing things that do you know, you're more safe with Jesus in a storm on Lake Malawi, than on your own without Jesus in the comfort of your bathtub. The safety we think we have is like, oh, I'm in charge in my own bathtub in my room and this is awesome, I'm in control. But that moment, you're not as safe compared to you being with Jesus in the craziest of storms. So I want us to start thinking about what are the reasons we have when it comes to this glorifying God. So this is it. God made you for himself. So he wants you to glorify him. Piper says, God is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied by him. Like God gets the most glory when we fully 
are satisfied by him. So I'm going to slowly unpack that because this event is a very interesting event. It's a wedding. Jesus is invited. His mom is invited. His disciples are invited. It's just another Sunday afternoon or Saturday. Like some of you were at weddings yesterday or you be at events today. I remember on our wedding, and I relate to this story because this wedding was about to be embarrassed, right? So at our wedding, uh, we go to the front, started the vows, and we realized we had forgotten our rings, guys. We had forgotten our rings. And I was intense, but that's not like the most chaotic thing. My wife wanted uh, a specific color on our wedding, and... um, that color could only be achieved if we made certain choices. So we went to my dad, who is a farmer, and we were like, ah, can you plant some sunflowers? And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. So he did a full garden of sunflowers, and they were ready two days before our wedding. Everything was perfect. And a very awesome committee member Just to be on top of things, he went and did cut the sunflowers so that they were ready at the venue on time. Forgot them to put them in water. So on the wedding day, we didn't have the one specific thing we wanted for the color of the wedding. What saved us is in May in Malawi, there's this jungle along the road that has these yellow flowers. So we just went to, and you guys didn't even know. You're only knowing now that I've said it. It was just like, oh, that's a creative idea. No, bro. It was a wine moment with Jesus for us. But that idea of there was an embarrassing moment at this event, a lot of people didn't even know. But Jesus' mom knew. So he go, she goes to Jesus and says, uh, they've run out of wine. And Jesus goes like, hey, woman, this is not my time. And Jesus is very specific in what he says. What does he say? He says, my time has not come out yet. Where else did Jesus say that? Now, when you're following scripture, you see that this moment is not Jesus saying, well, I'm not ready to perform miracles. That was not it. When Jesus is talking about the time has not come out yet, he's talking about he's at the wedding and he's the groom and we're the bride, his church. And the day is coming where we're going to be with Jesus at the end of time. And at this end of time, it will be a wedding feast. He is the chief of this wedding feast. He's the real Lord of the feast. So in this moment, Jesus is saying, my time has not come. Because if we just only lean on there, where it was no time to perform a miracle, we will miss the reality of he actually performed the miracle. Immediately, right? But it says, my time has not come. Um, and if you are here, your parents or your aunties, uh, your older siblings are pushy, Jesus understands you, man. Because his mom is like, just do what he says. Like, mom, it's not my time yet. And in that moment, you go to verse 11, and this is what verse 11 says. This is a first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan Galilee. Why did he do it? His glory. So he did this to manifest his glory. One, two. So that the disciples could what? 
believe. God's glory is a big deal to God. So how do we become people that live a life that glorifies God? We do that by obeying God. Because obeying God is how we glorify God. And the thing with obeying God is, if you're like me, you want a God that confirms what you believe, not a God that's wanting you to change so you're transformed. When you think about how you make decisions, how you think about what the Bible has said, a lot of times you are looking for confirmation to what you believe, not for the transformation Jesus wants to give you. And we continuously sit at that place. And I love that the vision and the mission of this church is transformation. Because we can come to God for behavior modification when he is offering us what? Transformation. And a lot of times we sit in that place. When we obey God, he's most glorified. Jesus is for every day living and he wants to be glorified in the small mundane things that we go through every day. And, and think about it. It's a wedding. It's wine. Why didn't Jesus start with walking on water? Boom. That would have solved our theological debates about was this juice cola? Was it grape juice? Or was this actually wine? And I think God in heaven cannot turn water into grape juice and call it wine. He can. He's God. But all I'm saying is we have this debate today that we can miss that reality of, okay, what, what was this? Why did Jesus choose this? That was because he was casting a vision for the future that I am rescuing you from the empty jars. And this, I love how scripture says, these six jars were used for purification. They were offering a way of getting cleansed for the Jews, for these people. And Jesus is like, I'm going to fill them with new wine. I'm going to provide a new way, a new, fresh, beautiful way of getting cleansed or filling your hearts and all completely changing you. In this moment, that just looked like another random wedding with all the wedding troubles. Jesus shows up and does something for the glory of God. And for some other reason, for some other reason, we think our mundane don't matter to God. We think God only cares about the big camera lights action moments. So we're careless in our small things. Not only careless, we're not aware of God's involvement and God's activity and God's movement in the little small everyday moments. And I'm like, we miss God. We miss his activity. We miss his love and kindness. In the small little moments like writing your assignment, like pulling your all-nighter, is God present? Is God present? That business transaction or conversation you're going to have that you're afraid of, do you think God is present? What about the business opportunity you're already winning in? Is God present? Yes, it's the small little things, the small little troubles, the big little awesome things that we're excited about. God wants to be involved in all things, not just in some things. 
James put it this way. All good things come from who? Not some. Meaning your life is not about some moments God is present. No, 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 no. Your life is about all moments, all good things. Then in the moment of, okay, all good things, if they're coming from God, what about the low moments? Hey, he walks with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning there's no moment, there's completely no moment in your life that God does not choose to be present in. So it's not you needing to ask for God to be present, it's you catching up with God's presence in your everyday. That's how we glorify God. We obey him and recognize his present in every moment. He says this, hey, you ask and shall receive, Right? Then he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, you being evil, when your child asks you for fish, you don't give him a snake. How much of the Holy Spirit do your heavenly father give you when you ask of him? And the thing is, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we're only thinking about the Holy Spirit when we are tensed. <laughs> we're thinking about God's glory, living for God, being present with God when things are weird. When God is offering God with us, Emmanuel. Not sometimes, all the time. The Holy Spirit leading you and causing you to think, to dream, to say, to live, to decide. Because you are continuously collaborating and partnering with God. You are continuously sensitive to what God wants to do and how God wants to do and why God wants to do. That when we obey God, we experience God and we experience transformation. God is offering transformation. He's not offering Less, if it's wine you need, he's not going to do mediocre wine. Come on now. And a lot of us, if you're like me, you, you've asked God for some things, man. You're like, you've gone for it. Like, God, I need this healing. And you're nine years late right now. I need this one thing. And you're 20 years late. I'd like, like, so you can be at a place where you think God is not for you. That God is not present with you that God is not working with you but here's the truth man in this moment where Jesus asks his servants and they obey and they go get some water and pull them in these spaces where he turns them into wine Jesus is almost making a statement that I have power and can make something exist that did not exist and a lot of times we get trapped with God by praying prayers that we can actually achieve without asking God. Mm, let me say it this way. God doesn't want you to just pray. As an opportunity for him to just know what you already can achieve. He's not just like a reference point. Like, hey, by the way, God... I'm also needing this, but if you're not going to give me, I'm, I'm going to work myself out. I'm going to do whatever I need. I think God wants us to enjoy the full awareness of living with him, for him, continuously. And, and for some other reason, we tend to separate the sacred and the secular. Pastor's job is sacred and your jobs are secular. Uh, do you think the job in the garden that Adam was working out was a secular job? Was the work Adam was doing in the, in the garden secular work? What did God tell him? Tend the garden, right? 
to keep it simple. Was Adam getting up like, okay, it's another day. Let me do some secular job. And on Sunday, I'm going to go to church. No. Because this idea of work came before the fall. Work did not, the toil is as a result. The hard ground is as a result. But the idea of work is already a gift from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. Then why should your work not be part of God's kingdom coming down? But it's like, this, <laughs> every place, everything you do should glorify God. Not some things you do should glorify God. Like every piece of work you do because you belong to God. Colossians 1, 15, 16. For everything was made by God and for who? For God. Everything we see, everything we have was made by God. And Jesus came because we had a separation with God. And that separation caused us to look at every other thing best from our own selfishness. And Jesus came and rescued us from that sin so we could have life. Life in what? Abandoned. Life in its fullness of living for God, not just random other days living for God. Why did Jesus show up? To show his glory and to bring us to God. To bring us to God and to transform us in God because the goal from the beginning was God with us, was God with you. That was the deal. You with God. Not some days, all days. Not sometimes, some situations that in all things glorify God. So how does God do it? He provides himself. God does not say, hey, I'm going to send 10,000 angels because I can. He says, I show up myself so that the relationship is with you and me. God desires you, friends. God wants to be with you. Actually, the song we did that God delights in us. As far as we delight in him. But God looks at us and delights in us. And for some other reason, that can be very hard for a lot of us. Because we know what we've been through. And I'm like, yeah, God does too. That's why it's the righteousness of Christ that you are clothed in. Not your good works. Grace was not the prayer you said. It's a life you're continuously living by and through. Grace was not I attended a Bible study. It's the transforming power Jesus offers your life. And says this is how you're going to do this. One, you can do this on your own. And some of you and some of me were like, dude, I can do this. I can actually prove to you that I can live a righteous life without you, God. And we try it and we become so legalistic and judgmental. And we are consumed by our own self-righteousness. We look at other Christians based on our own fake self-righteousness. That we think they're not as loved by God or living as God wants them to do. Why? Because we're sweet. The righteousness. And how does God respond to that? Your righteousness, your good works, your best awesome moments are like filthy what? Rags. They're empty. They're, they're, they're trash. That's what God is saying. So when Jesus is showing up for God's glory, you have to understand that glory is not a small thing. This is the excellency of God. This is the beauty 
of God. This is the righteousness of God. This is the power of God. Why do we believe God? It's because he's righteous. And because he's righteous, his promises will be fulfilled. Not because we have prayed too much. The first reason why we believe in God with our prayers is because he's a righteous God. He cannot lie. He's not going to start. He won't change. Why do we believe God? He is faithful even when you are faithless. Come on now. He is faithful even when you're faithless. So you show up to God because he's glorious. Because he's full of glory. His glory is part of his righteousness. And his righteousness is part of his justice. So like, oh, what's my stand with God? What's my stand? Christ is your stand with God. How do I see God? Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. How do we see God? How do we see his love? How do we see his faithfulness? Mm. You don't measure God's faithfulness simply based on what you're going through. That's a really, really shady thing to measure God's faithfulness with. You don't measure God's faithfulness based on how tough and easy life is. That's a really, really small thing to measure, to measure faithfulness on. You don't measure God's hope and kindness based on your situations. Why? Because God does not use or let any other thing. God does not use or let any other thing be his representation. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is how we see God. Not my situation. Because the devil uses my situations and say, God does not love me. But when I look to Christ, I see the love of a God who did not hold anything but sent his only begotten son so I could have life and life in abundance. When I look at my troubles, my bank account, I can go like, oh, God is not with me. But when I look at the image of this invisible God and see that image on the cross, therefore I can no longer go and say that God does not love me. Huh. If I think about the justice of God, I know God is fully, truly biggest justice guy. How do I know that? Look at the cross. Look at the sun. The sun says, this is a just God. He's full of mercy and justice. Micah 6, 8. How does, what does the Lord require of you to live and act justly and to live mercifully? So how does this God then want me to live a life that glorifies him? So in Jesus, J.D. Gray says, God chooses to be our father, not our judge, because Jesus was judged so we could be his children. God, God is continuously choosing to treat you as a son and a daughter because he already judged Jesus. He deserves all glory, man. He deserves all glory. So you walking around with your righteousness as your right standing with God, that's shady. That's lowly. That's, why would you do that? And, and I know because of pain and life, we have different feelings towards God. I'm like, dude, you're right. But can for a second you move your 
eyes from that pain and look at Jesus, who truly, fully understands what it means to be human, who knows what it means to be tempted, who knows what it means to struggle, who knows what it means to have a pushy family, who knows what it means to be betrayed by friends, who knows what it means to be abandoned by God, and who actually says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Can, can we look at him and say, yeah, he deserves the glory. Because when we look at him, then we'll believe what he says. Because how do we glorify God? Is when we believe God, that's how we glorify God. So what does his mom say? Do whatever he says. And this is what I want to finish with you guys. To glorify God, you have to do whatever Jesus says. Meaning whatever he says is no longer just a random option. It's no longer just a thought. It's no longer a suggestion. It's word of life. It's truth. It's word that pierces into the bones and temporal marrows and completely transforms you. His word is no longer a one other thing. You're going to check about that idea after you ask ChatGPT. Jesus' word is complete. It's true in life transforming. His word is completely what... God says, I've honored above all things my name and my word. And you know that he's going to stand on his word. You can trust him in his promises because they are true. So why do we believe God? <laughs> why do we believe God? And why should we believe God? Charles Spurgeon says, God has not forgotten you. Your suffering is not an embarrassment. Here it is. You cost Christ too much. For him to forget you. Come on now. You've heard me say this. So I'm going to repeat it. God is not in heaven panicking about your future. God is not in heaven panicking about your past. God is not confused by your past. Or your present. What has he done? He's paid for it. <laughs> He's paid for it man. So step into that. Step into that. Become that. Catch up with God has already, what God has already provided for you. You can no longer just live randomly if you want to be transformed by God. When we respond to his instruction, we experience his transforming power. When we don't respond, we can complain about it. The transformation is happening after we respond. You have to respond to God. Do whatever Jesus has said and you glorify God the most. To experience transformation, you must immerse yourself in the power of his word. You have to immerse yourself in the Holy Spirit. So how do we become a people that are glorifying God? Because we believe God and then we obey God. Part of obeying God is continuously saying yes to the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit telling you about that situation? About that relationship? Let me take you old school Anglican. What is the Lord inviting you to do in that situation? This is what I know. I might not know the why you're going through whatever you're going through. But I at least can commit to this. God is not punishing you, God does not hate you, and God has not abandoned you. For the reasons I don't know why you're there, the things I know 
is God is committed to you. And God has provided for you. And a lot of us, we're denying the Holy Spirit continuously because we think we can do this thing on our own. And God, if that was true, the Holy Spirit would not have showed up. You didn't need the Holy Spirit if all you needed was the prayer. Or if all you needed is I give my life to Jesus, I denounce my sin, write my name in the book of life. But if that's all you needed, that's all you were getting. But Jesus said, hey, wait here for the help is coming. And when that help, don't go anywhere unless the helper is with you. Why are you going anywhere apart, the, apart from the help God has provided? Why? Why do you want to make life hard for yourself? It's already hard. Being on earth is tough. In Malawi, is actually Padzikolapansi. You know what I mean? So why in the world would you want to live for God apart from the help God has provided for you? Why? What is your life apart from God offering you that is more attractive from what God is offering you? The thing you are chasing, it won't satisfy because it was not created with the capacity to satisfy. Only Jesus can do that. The relationship, the money, the friends, the lifestyle you're chasing, they won't satisfy. Your own safety and awesomeness will not satisfy because you were not built with a capacity to hold all things together. You are not, so stop. Receive the help and do whatever who Jesus says. So, okay, today, in the next 10 minutes, what is Jesus saying? What has Jesus been saying that you're just playing around and hitting like a small ball and you kind of open the door and go like, hey, Jesus, I can't. Then you leave again. What is God saying about your family, about your friends, about your future, about your present? And are you believing God or you're believing the lies? In the morning I shared, a lot of us, we believe lies about stuff. So our life is measured by the stuff we need to accumulate. But would you need that stuff if people were not watching? If no one knew that you had that thing, would your life still be satisfied? Would you still want that thing you are pastoring God for? Would you still chase that with everything you have? I'm not saying you should not have good things because all good gifts and perfect gifts comes from God. I actually want you to have stuff as a reminder, God holds all things together. One, two, everything belongs to God. Three, you should not be mastered by anything but God alone. Not stuff. But would your life be the same if God was your only portion? Some says it this way. Who have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire but you. My body, my flesh, my dreams, my heart, might fail but you 
and my portion forever. Piper asked this question. Would you still want to go to heaven if God was not there? If God was not in heaven, but heaven still had all the things heaven promises to have, would you still want to go to heaven? And sadly, my answer most of the times is yes. Stuff, not God. And it's always been about God's glory. It's always been about God. He showed up for your relationship, not to just give you stuff. We are missing so much from sitting with the Holy Spirit, from being transformed by the Holy Spirit, simply because oh, we, we just stop at the stuff. We're distracted by the stuff. When God is offering a deeper, kinder encounter with him. Let us pray. Jesus, you say, come to me, all those who are weary, and I'll give you rest. We need rest from you, God. Rest from chasing things that do not satisfy. Rest from chasing things that are destroying us. Rest from things that are lying to us. Rest from ambitions that are destroying and continuously taking from us. So we want to give you everything, Jesus. We want to surrender to you. You know the depths of our hearts. You know the wrestles in our hearts. So we give ourselves to you. Amen.